0: In Sex After, we are getting raw and honest about the most challenging aspects of sex, intimacy, and relationships after seismic change. This is Amy Marks. We're having intimate and unfiltered conversations with people who've been through life-altering experiences, and I'm finding out what sex and intimacy are like for them in the after. We're getting naked physically and getting naked emotionally. This is Sex After. Today, I have the pleasure of talking with Mina Starziak hawk and Steve Hawk. Mina is the star of HGTV's Good Bones, which wrapped its eight season run this October, 2023. Mina has also been seen on HGTV's Rock the Block and a very Brady renovation. She's co-founder and owner of Two Chicks and a Hammer and is host of the podcast Mina AF, where she asks the uncomfortable questions. It is uncensored, unapologetic, and honest. Steve is a certified nutrition and fitness expert and the owner and founder of Hawk Fit. Mean and Steve got married in 2016 and are the proud parents of two beautiful children, their five-year-old son Jack and their three-year-old daughter Charlie. In this episode, Mean and Steve open up about their struggles with infertility. How the first round of IVF was not successful, and how Mina was told that she had a 1% chance of getting pregnant. After a second opinion, Mina underwent IUI and gave birth to their beautiful daughter, Charlie. This episode began as a conversation about infertility and ended up going way beyond that. So much so that this is now a two-part series. The second half of this conversation airs two weeks from today. Steve opens up about the loss of his mother, father sister, and best friend. All of these losses occurred over a very short amount of time. We talk about resilience and grief and how to persevere despite huge personal loss. I am so thankful to Mina and Steve for saying yes to come talk with me on Sex After, for sharing their story and opening their hearts to us. I'm so happy to be sitting down and talking to the both of you right now. Thank you so much for saying yes to being on Sex After.
1: No, of course. Thank you for asking us.
0: You're so welcome. I have so many questions I want to ask you, but I actually want to start with this. I want to start with, you have a podcast called Mina AF. Yes. Will
1: you tell me, I what is the AF? <clears throat> Well, we haven't ever really explicitly said it. Okay. So we, we you can leave it to your own um, discretion. It's been okay. suggested that it could be, it could stand for Amina and friends, that it could stand for Amina as F-U-C-K. That's what I thought. Um, yeah. It's, uh, you know, fill in the blank with whatever okay, works for you. Oh,
0: fantastic. Fantastic. <laughs> I, I lean towards the fuck part. But yeah. here, what I love is that you because we really have this in common. You said that you want to ask the uncomfortable questions and you want to talk about the things that people are embarrassed to feel and think. Yeah. Will you tell me why that's so important to you both?
1: I think, I mean, obviously, well, not obviously, when we met, we both, Lived very different lives. They weren't public. They weren't forward facing. I didn't have. How a did you game. meet?
0: How did you, I know the story? But how did you meet? It's yeah. a good story. How did you meet?
1: A mutual friend. Um, a mutual friend went to high school with him, and um, introduced us. And uh, you know, he played hard to get. It <laughs> ended up working out, and now there's two babies, and the rest is history. But um, but yeah, a mutual friend. We went and watched a basketball game together
2: great yeah that's the condensed the version.
0: Con- very condensed, the condensed version I, I i read the full version online yeah.
1: so people if you want to read
0: the full version it's out it's 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 definitely out there to yeah. to, to to read yeah so 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 keep talking about so your lives were very different when you first yeah
1: i mean i neither of us i think in our wildest dreams would have imagined that we would have this kind of like forward-facing life yeah, That is just, you know, the general public pretty much knows what we're doing at all times, knows our height, weight, you yeah. know, like everything, whether it's right or wrong, it's out there. Um, and really the first time that, I don't know about you, but that I realized that like more people were listening and paying attention than just like my friends or my family or, you know, five other people, um, really was when I was talking about our our IVF experience and I was just doing kind of what I usually do, which is probably putting way too much out there and just being very open. And so I was on Instagram, like doing my injections, my Jack who was a toddler sitting on the counter, like watching me, you know, take the stuff out of the vial and it was normal to me. And then we got so many messages from so many people what kind of message? Basically. What kind of
0: messages did you get?
1: Just like, thank you so much for talking about this openly because in, you know, I think a lot of people's experiences is it's this very hush hush thing. Or if it is talked about in um, like the public, it's some superstar who went through IVF and magically had a baby. Like they don't show the messy injections and talk right. about the potential hormone issues or the failures. Like it's just this kind of, you know, hush, hush. And then a baby magically comes most of the time situation. And there was just so many people who were pretty much saying, thank you. Like I went through this and Mm. no one talks about it. So I didn't know how to talk about it or who I could talk about it with. So thank you for just like putting it out there. And for me, that was the first time I think I really realized like a lot of people are listening and a lot of people appreciate my ability and therefore Steve's ability because he's ride or die ability to put our lives kind of out there. um, And not just like the really pretty stuff. I love that you said,
0: and not just the really pretty stuff, because so much that we see with people who are out there in the public life is the pretty stuff. So other people don't see the dark or, or anything that goes underneath that. So I deeply appreciate that you put out the not so pretty stuff so can you tell me a little bit about your journey with IVF
1: yeah it was sorry like you're gonna have it's, I, it's I, just wanna, you know, okay. I I'm okay. gonna ask, I'm asking Steve questions don't don't, yeah, don't worry okay. about it honestly I have a terrible memory so he probably remembers the specifics of like once the whole process started but um when we decided to try to have kids we got pregnant Literally the first weekend we were trying, much to his chagrin. There right. wasn't a whole lot of trying. <laughs> um, And got pregnant with Jack. And immediately, pretty much as soon as we were allowed to have sex again, after uh, my C-section, we started trying for a second. I so
2: think how people... long
0: did you have to wait after a C-section to have sex? Six
2: weeks. Six,
0: yeah. Six I want to say six weeks. Six
1: weeks. Six weeks. And then obviously yeah, at your comfort level. Of course. But it's, of course. it's a different recovery because the baby is coming out of – yeah. A hole they yeah. cut versus down down there. Yeah. Um, so the rules were a little bit different for engagement. But it wasn't terribly long after Jack. I wanted, like my brother that's a year older and a year younger, we like 23 and 25 months. So
0: it's like Irish twins, isn't yeah, that what they call almost Irish, Irish twins.
1: Yeah. And that's yeah. what I was going for. I was actually going for twins. It didn't happen. So I'm like, we're going to make Irish twins. We're going <laughs> to get the crazy out fast before we realize we shouldn't have another kid. Um, and then it just didn't work. And like we got past the fun part of trying, and it was just like,
0: how we, long did we you? Good.
1: How long did you try for? Yeah, six months. Six months, which is honestly a lot less than most people before they start some kind of intervention or testing.
2: That was a bit of, I would say, I don't know, if backlash is the right word, but it was like you,
1: you guys only gave it six them.
2: months. Yeah. Like we've been trying for four years. Yeah. Before we even made a phone call, um, but luckily. Our our insurance was able to to pay for like yeah. some testing. And I'm you know. I'm
1: a very impatient human, so it like I read two, that about you. It's <laughs> <laughs> very true, um, and I'm a control freak, so you know, months two or three, I was like, this isn't right. Like, there's no, and you also, knew.
2: It also just something just felt off. It just felt like yeah, this is this just doesn't seem right. And something we were using right.
1: like the. Um, the P strips where you can like, like, this is when you should be having sex. We were just like the ovulation trips. We weren't just like willy nilly. Like we were actively trying. But what I love about that is you knew,
0: like, I think it's so important for us to trust our guts, trust our instincts. Like when
1: you know, you do know, and then you took action. And yeah, I mean, I'm, I very much am like, okay, well, if there's a problem, like, what are the options that we can do about it? Okay, let's get your sperm tested. Let's get my eggs tested. Let's make sure that we're not, we don't have like an easy fix here.
0: Right. Um, mm.
1: And so we did both of those things. And Steve's swimmers are very strong and plentiful. Um, <laughs> I wish you could see the, st- the face Steve just made. It <laughs> <laughs> was good. It was good. They are. Um, I
2: was worried for a moment. I was like, oh.
1: Well, because then it's like, whose fault is yeah, it? Is well, it her fault? Or is it my well, fault? You know? You know but like, I'm, I'm just...
0: curious to touch on that. Do you think yeah. that that people think fault? Do you think like
1: fault comes into play at all? I say it in a playful way because yeah. for us, that wasn't the issue. But I right. 1,000% could see that being a really tough thing yeah. for people to have to work through. I
2: think so. I've read statistics of like divorce with failed IVF is extremely high. Yeah. Really? And I can imagine that there's... Um, resentment I mean, and blame that falls into that
1: there's just bound to always be someone who wants it more and there's so many emotions and like I'm sure it's very few times that it's like we wanted exactly the same thing all the time like I think Steve would have been fine he was pretty much referring to me like if you want to keep trying I am down I'm here to support you if you want to be done I love you I love our child we can move on and I was like I you know I really want to try again and so when you have that kind of, I think, slight difference to begin with, it I think possibly could open the floodgates for a lot of other issues where you're misaligned, particularly then you start jacking hormones into you and you know, it, it can just do wild stuff.
0: Yeah, hormones can do crazy things.
1: Yeah. So then you got tested and you were
0: good to go, Steve. And I then- was good
2: to go, yeah. Yeah. When the testing Uh, scenario is quite awkward as you can imagine
0: what is so i don't know i I, but what is i have to ask what is the test you would think that
2: it you know 20 20, this was year 2019 yeah you would think it would be um a little bit more sexy than what it was it was just like walk into a uh basically like a
1: like a a six by six room yeah like a
2: little like a jail cell with a with a love seat and um
1: a puppy pack. Por-
2: pornos in the DVD from 2001. <laughs> I mean, they were, I, it just was a very bizarre situation. So I just did it as quickly as possible. I was and just
0: going to add, I was actually going to say how long we you in that room for. <laughs> I,
2: yeah. And, that, and that's the other thing too, where I felt like, like this no pressure, pressure of like, shit, what if I come out like a half hour later? That's just super awkward. <laughs> You take but I'm sure
1: they've seen everything. Oh, I'm. <laughs> I
2: can. The nurses were beyond beyond fantastic yeah. and uh, made everything as comfortable as, as possible in this, in the situation. But yeah, I'd say it was probably under five minutes.
1: Yeah. Oh. Yeah. He's it's, you know he's very I, competitive. Well, just very- <laughs> I was like I I
2: got to get this just over with. And I ended up having. Mind to you, do he it. had to do it more than. Yeah, you. I had to do it a handful of times.
1: Oh, you
0: did.
2: Yeah because uh, we got, we saw multi, we saw a few doctors yeah. and then we did IVF and also IUI. Right. So it was three or four I used times. To it.
1: So That's- then what happened when you got tested, Mina? So I can't name the I can't remember the initials for the test they do for your eggs. It's like M Yeah. It's three letters. Okay. And I learned so much about it at the time and learned that it is very controversial like how they do this test to see how many eggs you have left and if they're any good. Some doctors put a lot of weight into it. Some put absolutely none. Um, but when mine got my results from this were you have hardly any eggs left and the ones that are left suck. Um, and how, what was, how did that make you feel? What, what went through your mind? when It you- was super disappointing for so many reasons. Like I'm the most competitive with myself and I'm like, well, you've, you know, now I'm failing myself. Like I'm failing. We can't have the kids. Like this is what women are built to do. And I'm 32. Yeah, I was 32. Oh, so yeah. I was like, I'm super healthy. I'm not that old. Um, but again, just like educating myself so much. I didn't know literally when you're born, you have the amount of eggs you'll have your whole life. Didn't know that. I, didn't, I did not know that either. Super strange. Mm. Um, so it's just, and, and that's different for so many women. So it was, that was hard to understand that like my body was already pretty much
2: what you had was minimal yeah. and, and the minimal amount, the follicles weren't great. Yeah, either.
1: they were not, they weren't thriving. They were like, we we got like another six months left in us. So, uh, the initial IVF doctor that we went to said, because you have so few and the ones you have aren't any good. Whereas we would usually try an IUI or two or five before you jump to that right, next yeah. step we, of we have IVF, yeah, mm-hmm. we would usually do those first. But that's going to waste the eggs that you have. So his recommendation was just to jump to the you know the big boy give it, all, uh, he's, he's uh, like,
2: give it all I got,
1: jack me full of all the hormones, make the follicles the best they could, and see what we could do. Did you do that? Yes. So that's what we did. Oh, you did uh, the IVF. Yeah, we did that first before anything else, um, because he didn't want to go through cycles of IUI and waste my eggs because he was so concerned with how few they
0: were. And how was how was going through IVF for you, Mina and Steve? How was that for you as the partner?
1: And this is where I like you might remember it more because I'm just kind of like I'm a workhorse, I'm on a mission, and yeah. this was just another job. Like, okay, I need to do these injections. They're going to do X, Y, Z and like the first injection i remember being really scared and like steve did the first handful but i think as far as experiences i've heard from other women going through ivf it was the effects on me were low to minimal. none minimal as as far as it goes with cuz it's a Swing. lot of hormones like a lot the of swings hormones. and things like that and i think i the way my body processed it i had very minimal effects
2: yeah
1: but um I don't know. What was it like for yeah, you? No, I
2: remember thinking, like, you know, your attitude, behavior, mental, you know, stability, how change.
1: I think a lot of, like, the stereotype is, you know, you'll get these crazy women on their periods, and then you jack them full of ten times, those amount of hormones are going to be crazier. And I was pretty Yeah, I normal. thought you
2: Not normal, yeah.
1: So I don't know which, I don't know if the stereotype is right, or people are just...
2: I think everybody yeah. reacts... Yeah. very different when you inject them with hormones yeah and then take them away
0: but um so yeah, oh, so that. that's interesting and then take them away yeah, yeah. so so what I didn't think about that part either so, so was
2: to back up in my early 30s me and I had been together for a, a few years I heard a radio commercial that was like a are you experiencing fatigue and, you know, just all these things that like everybody goes through? Of course. <laughs> just checkbox for every human. It was like, well, come into the low T center, or maybe I should say, come into a center that can help That's diagnose awesome. low testosterone and right. we'll take it from there. And I did that. I got a test and uh, the, the scale of my age. Uh, would be like you know, let's call it ninety to a thousand, mm-hmm. and I was at like two hundred, which for my age is that's not good.
0: Oh, it's not good.
2: No, two hundred oh. is not good. Wow. No, it was it wow. it was low. So they were like, "Your insurance will pay for weekly injections. You just have to come here. You pick a day. We shoot your butt, and you walk away." It was a, it's a five minute process, and I did that for probably. Two years, two yeah. solid years. I got my testosterone up to like eight nine hundred, where you where you want it to be. The thing is, when you're on hormone replacement therapy or TRT testosterone replacement therapy, your body naturally stops making the testosterone, and therefore good sperm. Mm-hmm. Oh, so I forgot about all that. This is why I'm bringing this up. Yeah. So when I told my do- my doctor the guy who shot me in my butt weekly, I said- (laughs) Did you have an intimate
0: relationship with the guy who shot you in your butt weekly? Yeah,
2: we're going to try to start to make a family. And he was like, oh, okay. Well, there's a bit of a process to that. We got to take you off these hormones, right? So I was on artificial hormones. Right. And so you have to kind of like, you wean down the, the dosage for a month and then you go on a drug called Clomed, which I'm sure- most of your listeners are familiar with. Um, It's typically given for women. Mm -hmm. um, Helps with uh, estrogen. So it it brings your levels, it helps bring my levels back to where they naturally would be. Right. So so we kind of had to wait about two months for me to get my natural sperm working again. And it worked again right away. (laughs)
0: But I could, I could, so that must've been weighing on your mind when you were getting tested.
2: Yeah. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I I was like, who knows, who knows what could happen right away. I could have blank sperm. Uh, we didn't know. Right. Um,
0: did you feel different weaning off the testosterone? Like, did your fatigue level go down or-, or No, you-
2: and I've, since, since then, I, I've remained at really high levels. Um, I didn't, because the idea is that you you hit, you hit that mark, that number, and then when you get off of the TRT via Clomed, mm-hmm. you, you ideally, your body kind of like catches up to where it was. So I, I remained at those at the good like levels where, where you should be. So that was helpful.
0: That's great to know. Mm-hmm. So then when, so you had no issues going off the hormones. Mina, did you have issues when you, when you came off the
1: hormones? I know. I mean not nothing that I think was noticeable um, going like starting the injections or stopping. Um, which I don't think I think it's a little bit more rare. I think probably it is does affect people a little bit more. Yeah. So I don't want anyone to think like, no, it's great. It's fine. Right.
0: <laughs> no, of course. This, we're all so, so different. Like yeah. it's just, none of this is one size fits all yeah. at all, at all. So the IVF was not successful.
1: The IVF was not successful. So we did all the injections um, and you go in, I think weekly for, um, an ultrasound and they look at the follicles to see like how big they are. And once they're really big and they like the way they look, they'll give you a trigger injection, which you kind of shoot. And then you go a certain amount of days later because what the trigger injection injection does is like triggers your body to say, okay, release the eggs so they could be collected. So Mm -hmm. you do the trigger injection, you go in, I call it for the harvest. Sounds (laughs) a little (laughs) crass that way, but that's what I always called it. And they take the eggs out. And that's when he's got to give him more sperm and they take the egg and the sperm and they do whatever magic and then put it back in. So we got to that point where they put it back in. And again, there's a kind of difference between the two and the three day window. Some doctors want to put it back in. So they mix it and let it grow for two days or Mm -hmm. they let it grow for three days. Some doctors do one or the other before they put it back in. Um, And I guess that whole conversation is, you know, we want to get it back into its natural habitat as soon as possible. So at day two, but a lot of doctors wait till day three because a huge portion of the eggs die between day two and day three. Right. So we went back in on day three. That's what my doctor did. Mm-hmm. Um, and we
2: got a phone call and he was like, things are looking great.
1: Yeah. I totally forgot about that. Yeah. Follicles yeah. are, and
2: we were, I, I was kind of surprised. I, I honestly didn't think it was any of the, I didn't think any of this was going to work. Like, oh, you Mina kind of touched upon earlier. She was like, Steve was just kind of, you know, Steve was cool with, with like, whatever. But I in the back of my mind, I was like, I mean, he sat us down and said, you have less than 1% chance of getting pregnant. So oh, he somebody, did. oh, so
1: that's how this started. That was, no, that's not how it started.
2: Well, at one point.
1: But that was after the failed IVF. So, he, I mean, he, he did not give us great odds, but he was like, it's worth trying. Mm-hmm. So... Uh, but yeah, I think, I mean, I, d- I just assume I'm going to be able to figure out how to do everything. So I just assumed, I was like, I'm going to be able to figure out how to make IVF work. Yeah. Um, well, let's
2: try it again. And he was like, no, you, you. Well, so
1: we put the eggs back in yeah. and on day like one afterwards, he was like, they're looking good. They're, they're okay. Mm-hmm. And then they, they did not take, so it didn't work. And that's when he sat us down and this is all in an episode of the show, um, where he said it didn't work and you have no eggs and we're not going to do this again. You couldn't really pay me to do it again because I have that little confidence. Like it's not going to work. And I said, like, what are we talking about? Like a 1% chance or like a 10% chance. And he was like less than 1% chance.
2: Um, He said, he, he said,
1: well, he asked why we got pregnant with Jack and he was like, Oh yeah. Yeah. I don't know why. I said, well, how did we
2: get pregnant with our first child so quickly? And he was like, that's a miracle. Yeah. And yeah.
1: that was super hard because that didn't necessarily hit until the next thing he said was he like handed us a pamphlet across the table that to read about donor eggs. Yeah. And I think that's for when both of us, I was just like, what? Yeah. Like it never crossed my mind. Right. That it wasn't going to work and we weren't going to be able to figure out what to do with my body to get it to work. Um, keep trying. Yeah.
2: Right.
1: Um. Like, just doing it one and done. And that's just not how I am. Like, I do it till I figure out how to do it. Um, And he was saying, that's absolutely not an option. Move on mentally. Get a donor egg if you want a kid or adopt. And that, I think, was just, again, we were filming this. Like, Steve and I are obviously crying in the moment. But then we had driven separate. We had to go to different places afterwards. So got in my car and just, like, lost it. Because I was processing so many things, not just that like my body wasn't working, but like this whole house I built—the floor plan is designed around multiple children, like where the playroom is, where the kids' rooms are, the kids' rooms, Um, like so many things.
2: Once you have your kind of like your heart set on anything, right? Yeah, whatever, whatever it is. When your heart is set on something, and you're told you're not going to get that, it's devastating. Yeah,
1: it was just kind of like having to relook at everything I thought I had planned for my entire life because it wasn't working. Um, So Mina,
0: how long did you both stay in that? Like how long did you stay in the, the sadness of it and the pain of that? How long did you stay in that until you were able to thank you very much until you were. Not long. Not long. Um, I don't
2: think that life allows our lives. Didn't allow us to go home, lay on the couch for, Two days and sulk about it. We, you know.
1: Well, and even beyond that, it was, it was, you know, when we did kind of come back together that day and like, okay, I don't think a donor egg is a thing for us. Like that, the reason, like the reasons we wanted kids, and it's a great, it's a great option for so many people. But so we kind of talked about really that day and the next day. It's, you know, we're incredibly blessed. Obviously, we have Jack, a lot of people who love to remind us we already have one kid. We should be grateful. Um, Do do people, I want to stop you there. Do you get that? So many people. Again, we did IVF 10 times. You only did it once. At least you have a kid. We still don't have a kid. And I'm like, you guys, it's not a competition. I think It's just not.
2: I think in general, and Mina and I talk about this frequently with posts, People love to compare.
1: Well, we're, I, I don't, we're very self-centered people. Yeah, like just in general, as as a as an, an animal, like you relate everything to your own experience, whether that's good or bad.
2: It, yeah, and it, it just it just felt very like instead of "I'm so sorry to hear this," "I wish you the best of luck." It was like everything was like, yes, me too. We've had 10 uh, IVF, you know, it's just like, I don't want to say competition, but it just, everything felt like my story is worse than your story.
0: It's so interesting you said that because as a cancer survivor and as someone yeah. who lost their mother to cancer when I was young, people, I'm, I'm not saying as, as a general thing, but people I think have a hard time just staying being present and listening to your story. We talk they, about it.
2: We talk about it all the time.
0: You do? Oh yeah, <laughs> yeah all mean, the
2: time. Um,
0: we've had a this lot a, of. This,
2: ho- hopefully, this will get me crying. We'll get edited, but today's. <laughs> no, I, my, I
1: like today's what?
2: Today's my uh, dad's. Um,
1: His dad passed away today. Um, a few, anniversary. A few years ago,
2: and um, I don't even like br- bring it up publicly anymore because I don't want to. He- I don't need to hear 300 people's grandma that passed away too. It's
1: People just don't really know how to relate. Like I said, they don't know how to sit in the discomfort and just let you be sad or let you be. They have to say, oh, well, it's okay because like this was worse and this happened to me or it's, it's just, it's just something I think you actively have to work on. I do, I try to do it too because I think your inclination... As humans, we right. want to be able to relate. We want to say like, "Oh, well, I can, I can understand you." Correct. But a lot of times we just can't. Like your grandma passing away is different than Steve's loss of his dad, no matter how much you think they're similar. So just being able to say, you know, that that sounds really awful. I'm so sorry for you. Like
2: and Mina, people just don't know
1: how to leave it there.
2: Mina was is very good at reminding me like they're just trying to relate to you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And I, I I really understand that, but I think it's it's so it's such a blessing when you whenever I meet someone and I can share something and they can actually it's going to make me cry. Yeah. They can hold that space. For hold, me. Yeah. They yeah. They can just this, hold that
2: space. It's rare.
0: It is rare, but it's, it's rare. To me, um, it's so healing and and. And it makes us feel seen and it makes us feel heard. And I think it helps us to heal.
2: And I, I'm super aware of it. <laughs> um, it very... I, I never, I'm never like, oh, I'm so sorry for your loss. I've lost my mom, my dad, my sister, my best friend, all within three years. You know, I don't, that, that, I that, that doesn't matter to them. Yeah, It doesn't help. And, you know, I, I th- this might offend some listeners and uh, that's not my intention um it's just it just almost makes it harder you know and 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 you as a cancer survivor i'm sure you every single time you probably even bring it the c word up it's
1: my sister had yeah, cancer my mom, like me, i don't it's this. it's
2: like yeah. i'm not this isn't about you at this moment right now
0: every single t- every yes. time every yeah. time Every time. And so Every time. And I have, to, I have to tell you, when I was young and my mother died of cancer, because I was 17 when my mom died.
2: Oh, it's a perfect time for a mom to die. 17?
0: Oh, yeah. <laughs> that wasn't a game changer in my life. Jesus. But, but nobody, nobody, young people to hold that space for me. So what I did, I did what you do, Steve. I, I stopped talking about it. Like there were yeah. so many people who had no, idea. they were like, your mother died when you were young. I just shut that door down and talked to nobody.
2: It's hard. And I know that the, like me, Mina, Mina always reminds me their intentions are good. They're not yes. doing it out of bad intentions. And I get that, but I would be so frustrated, like, you know, like bored on the couch, reading comments, which I try not to do anymore. And I'm just like, God Dang. Can we curse on this podcast?
0: Absolutely, fucking
2: Like, God <laughs> damn, this isn't about you, Cindy. <laughs> you <know? thing. laughs> just leave. Just, but, the people are, they're trying to relate, but it's also it, it, it feels kind of icky and selfish.
0: Yeah, no, I totally. And then that's
2: with that. the IVF story. Was like at first we wanted to go real public with this to help, right? And then along that journey of helping which i think we helped way more than we hindered but along that journey it was like
1: it was you already have a
2: kid how dare you and you only had to try x amount of months and it was just like
1: oh you know you guys are rich so you can afford it like actually his insurance paid for it and the money was a part of the conversation because his insurance paid for the first round we're like Okay, if we're going forward, what money is left on the insurance? How much are we willing? Like that's a big part of the conversation for so many people because not a lot of people have the opportunity yeah. with right. their insurance to cover those kind of things. Like his company was amazing. Yeah. If we were to go through that today, it, everything would be out of pocket because we're on my insurance and my insurance oh. sucks. You right. know, so many people just assuming because I have a TV show, A, that I'm rich right. um, and that this is all just easy and I can, I, we, it, well, it's magical for us. Um, which is, you know, kind of the dark side about sharing everything so publicly. And we regularly have those conversations like, is it worth it? I still think it's worth it with the amount of like crap we get back. But particularly with my podcast now, like that's the audience that I want to grow, that I want to feel connected to. And they're the ones that appreciate those difficult conversations and can leave room for the questions and, and, and like process this. I'm not telling you guys what to do, but like, let's think about these 10 things and why we do this this way. And much of my, you know, older generation, people that follow me from the show just don't have that mindset.
0: It's ideal like with haters. With, well, you call them haters, right? I mean, I don't know what else you're going to call it. And sometimes it makes me go, I just want to crawl back into a hole. And why yeah. am I doing this? I'm not going to put yeah. myself out there anymore because I'm sure you're both sensitive people like I am. And then you have that moment of, but if I help one person, yeah, if I made a difference to one person, mm-hmm. then it's all worth it.
1: Yeah. And I mean, that's exactly what it was, I think, for us in the long run. And since then, which was how many years ago, was that four years ago that all started? Yeah. I mean, there's been so many other things that we've both gone through like so many of his losses, um, our IVF, my, my post baby mommy makeover. Oh my God. Did people write about that? Um, all these things that like I keep making the active choice to be open with because literally only because the ridiculous amount of messages I get from other people, like saying, saying, thank you. You made it easier for me to have this conversation with my friend, with my husband, with, you know, my parents, with whatever, like, and and, and I'm definitely not like the most mentally stable person. Like I go to therapy, I'm working on myself, so I don't claim to be. But I think just talking about things and like having them out in the open immediately takes that edge off because it's so many of these conversations are shameful. Like my body didn't work. Like that's shameful. I didn't love my post baby body. That's shameful. Like you should love your your torn abdominal muscles and all those things. Like I don't. And I'm not ashamed. And that's your choice. That's your
0: choice that you don't.
1: And I just didn't want people to ever, like particularly with my plastic surgery, I was like, I don't want to be that person that I see on social media that I'm like, that bitch had three kids. Like she looks great on the beach. If I did 10 more crunches or if I ate less, like if you see me on the beach with my kids, no, I work my butt off. He's an amazing trainer and I do his program and I don't like I eat like an asshole and I have implants and I got a tummy tuck and all those things can exist together but i just i don't want to ever set unrealistic expectations for people just by looking at me and thinking she's rich she's perfect her husband's handsome you know whatever fill in the blank so and probably part of it is also like i'm going to call out all my flaws mm-hmm. way before y'all have a chance to
2: i think so, part of that part of the part of the whole pro- problem is that the, like the rest of uh, like a lot of the influencers and let's say a celebrities only post those top reel. notch. Yeah. The highlight reel. And so we try to keep it real. Teen suicide is up crazy numbers because Instagram and feeling less than yes comparing teens, comparing themselves to what they're seeing on Instagram as real. So
1: and just nothing is real. Nothing like, is real. Don't even get into AI.
0: That's oh, just a don't even start one. me on that. Don't even start <laughs> me on, on on that as yeah. the SAG vote's coming out. But it's true. So I I go back to saying I love that you share the truth, your truth. You did talk about secrets and shame.
1: Oh yeah, I did an episode on my podcast. Not so I so I read I read Brene Brown's book um, uh, on vulnerability. Yes. Yeah, um, to lead, what is it, lead fearlessly. It was her, it's her second book. Mm-hmm. And I read it, my purpose was from a managerial standpoint, like I'm terrible with other humans. I use too few words. I'm very emotionally detached. And I was trying to get some insight from it for like managing people in my company. And it really is like, that's the least that I got from it. But what she talks about is like, when you look at the world in this vacuum um and you don't have context like that's where shame can only live in this little bubble whereas if you talk about your thing and then you realize this person and this person and this person all have that same experience then that shame kind of fades away and so that's why it's so important to talk about those things that you feel ashamed about um maybe nothing will change but probably it's going to open up the conversation for a lot more people to have the conversations that they need to and just lift some of that shameful feeling because literally today like when i talk about my plastic surgery i feel ashamed i don't even like saying Oh, you do it sounds, oh you I do just, feel ashamed i feel I, in my head i'm not but there's still those emotions like yeah no not everybody can afford that not everybody it, just whatever it is like i should have just been happy with how i looked and so there's those thoughts they quickly go away much more quickly than they ever did before but they're still there. And so I think continuing to talk about it, like even the title, calling it a mommy makeover, it's like, you've earned it. You did this really hard thing. So you've earned it. But if you just had a body and wanted to get the same procedures that are a mommy makeover, that's just plastic surgery. And that's just you being selfish and greedy and not liking the way you look. You didn't do the hard work to earn the mommy makeover. So even when I was talking about it originally, I like, I don't like calling it a mommy makeover because that it's like softening it for everybody because they can accept it better if I've been a mom. So yeah, I have, I regularly like, I'm going through conflicts in my head about that.
0: First of all, I, I, I want to just backtrack about your dad and say thank you for for sharing that with us. And I, I'm so sorry for the loss of your father.
2: Thank you for saying that. It's unfortunately a tough time of year, you know. Thanksgiving, <laughs> And then his birthday is in a few days. So it's just, it's just kind of heavy. It's just, it's just a heavy time of year for me.
0: Would you consider yourself a very resilient?
2: I wouldn't have um, if you would have asked me that 10 years ago. But I think about that. That's a good question. And I think about it from time to time that I'm not, I'm not so sure everybody can come out on the other end.
1: I think our kids,
2: Yeah, I mean, why our, do you do
1: anything, if, you know, for the people you love? And I think he would be in a very different situation um, if we didn't have our kids, mm-hmm. because that's totally something to live for. And obviously we have each other, but yeah we're both adults. And so when you just have another adult in your life, you can spiral and that adult can handle themselves. And when you have two kids, it kind of pulls you back to having something like, you know, these little lives depend on me. So I'm going to figure out a way through. And I mean, it's, it's a day by day. Holidays are harder, but sometimes a Tuesday is just as hard.
2: Yeah. Um, Rainy days, you know, Not to, like, pat myself on the back, but, yeah, I'm pretty resilient. It first started, I mean, and I were living uh, together um, for only a few months, and uh, I got the phone call that my best friend had died in a car accident. And it's interesting because... You, when you think you can't get like more broken, you, you get more broken and then you get more broken and you just don't know how you're going to pull yourself back up sometimes. But Mina often reminds me that there's people that depend on me and um, Jordan Peterson, you know who Jordan Peterson is? I do. He, he has a quote that says, yeah. <laughs> Never underestimate the hole that you'll leave in the people's lives around you if you're gone. So, if I weren't resilient, there'd be a lot of bummed out people, I think. And I like, I like that quote a lot. It helps me out.
0: And and I'm. Mina. How is it for you in holding that space for Steve?
1: It's hard. I. Um, yeah. I
2: I hate that it, well, that it's like the pressure, like I, I. Sometimes hold back of saying like I'm, I'm having a bad day because I don't want her to have that pressure. Cause I know that she has to naturally feel that. And I didn't mean to cut you off. I just wanted to say that.
1: No. I mean, it's hard just because I was raised very differently. Like there wasn't a lot of emotion and a lot of like open communication. And so I'm not good at that. I've learned how to be better at it as I've gotten older, as I've been in relationships, as I've gone to therapy, but I'm also a problem solver, and I can't solve any of these problems. And then they just keep fucking coming. And so it has been over the last, you know, 10 years of being together, I've just felt more helpless than I ever have in any other time in my life because I can't – there's nothing I can do. There's nothing I can say. There's nothing. And that is – that's – the very uncomfortable position for me. And then on top of that being like we have our kids, but they don't they don't know, you know, what's going on. I mean, they they know that about the loss and all that, but like they don't know if Steve's having a hard day. And so I Jack I now. I am his whole world. Yeah. And it's just everything has like an extra layer of thought, for better or for worse, like mm-hmm. the holidays. It's not the regular stressful holidays. It's like, okay, how do we hold space for, who does Steve want to see? You know, He still has family, he has his brother here. Where do you want to go? How do we want to do this? And it's not a normal conversation. It's a very loaded conversation because there's naturally so many emotions around it that we've had to work really hard with each other to figure out how to communicate well and effectively in these much more like pressure cooker type conversations because of the loss that is, is there. And it's required a lot of learning and understanding on my part. Um, and I think if we get better at figuring out how to handle it. As time passes, there's there's distance. So it makes it slightly easier, but it's still not, not easy. Yeah. And I'm still not good, good at it. Um,
2: yeah, but what I think. Mina doesn't sometimes understand is that and some of your listeners that have gone through this similar situation and you have too that I don't need you to do anything I
1: know I know I (laughs) I know and that's hard for me I just need you to yeah
2: like be home sometimes um this last winter I don't know why but it was particularly rough for me and there was a day I was at home and I was just crying like the whole day and I texted Mina, and I, I said, you know, I'm not sure what you're up to right now, but if you can just come home, and she did, and it, I immediately, like, snapped out of it, and that's all I needed, you know, and the kids were home in a few hours, and my day completely turned around, um, and that's all I need, like, I'll be honest with you, this this morning, we had uh, couples therapy. I came home, I did my workout, and I literally cried for probably an hour and a half up until we hit record on this. But Mina just being home almost immediately, as soon as she turns the corner, just makes me feel not alone.
0: I think that's so important. First of all, I, I, I'm going to keep repeating myself. I, I, I really... I'm so grateful for you sharing your heart because I think so I think so many people hold so much inside and yeah. I think that's why there's so much pain in the world because people are unable to just share and to there is nothing people can do but to know we're loved and to for someone to hold that container of space is healing. Like there's no like there's really no fixing. No. No. I hate to learn that. <laughs> right? There's, no. there's there's no fixing.
2: No, you're just so I see a grief counselor and you know day one of me seeing her she was like my job is to give you tools to make your life better from mm-hmm. today forward. <laughs> like imagine there's a toolbox right beside your right beside your feet, and when you have a bad moment or a bad day or a bad week, I want you to be able to pull out the right tools that I've helped you get, pull those tools out, and fix that hour, day, week, however long it is, Um, and I joked with my grief counselor, like the first day we met, I was like, you know what's so hard about my situation is, is that I just don't really have anybody to talk to, and I joked and I said, you know, I could probably go down to like the VFW bar and talk to some old dudes that have lost everybody in their life. That's about it. There's
1: not a lot of people. In <laughs> There's just blast.
2: not a lot of people in my shoes. That, and, and Mina and I have talked about this before, too, where I, I just think people sometimes that are in our lives, friends and family. Don't know what to say.
1: Oh, I don't know what to say. yeah, I, yeah it's it's I, I don't know how you would expect anyone to, to understand know what to or, say. Yeah, to know what to say. Um, but people are also very uncomfortable with silence and that's why they fill it with dumb shit. <laughs> that's
0: exactly right. I had a few weeks ago, I had uh these incredible women on, uh the chemo queens, and they have this uh Resource uh, and this list of you know what to say to people going through chemo and cancer, and they also have a list of what not to say.
2: Yeah, yes. so more, I I, more I bingo. Yeah. bingo, bingo,
1: bingo. Our our one of our good friends. Uh, I mean, we've had a a couple other people who, that we know well that have gone through infertility issues, but one in particular that lost um, the baby pretty far into the the pregnancy and. I literally Googled what to say and what not to say. And it was, might've been dumb, but it's so helpful. Cause all, like, I think what I ended up texting her was like the blue butterfly. Because when that is the symbol for the loss, the baby, like the love, like it's just the symbol. And that's all that she needed. Like you were here, you were in my thought. I have no words, but I'm thinking about you. And once she was a little bit further through it and could, talk to any humans was able to say like, like that, that's, that it's just perfect. Like, that's what I needed. So you don't have to fill, you know, a scrolling text to let someone know you care. It's just like a heart or a, I'm thinking about you. That's right. And so if you don't know what to say, Google will tell you. That's right. What, do I, what, what What's the best thing to say? And the worst thing to say through someone like who had the loss of their parents, who went through IVF, who lost a baby, like, Just look it up if you don't know, particularly the don't say. Particularly the don't say, because (laughs) I can tell
0: you the things people said to me when I was before I even went in surgery for cancer. It was like, like this one woman um, I had said on the podcast before, because I had um, a double mastectomy and I chose to get implants and I'm tiny and, and my physicality is really important to me. And I still I mean, I still wanted to look beautiful. I still, yeah. it was really important to me to still look beautiful. And I remember this woman said to me, she goes, well, before my surgery, I had a great body, but afterwards it's just, everything was terrible and, and it was, I, was, I never looked good again. And I was like, you're saying this to me right before I'm going in for my surgery? Like what? What? Yeah. So I, I had to like, you know, let that go. But why would you even say that? Why would you even say that? things that come
1: out of people's mouths is amazing to me. And just at like in the last year, I just turned 39, I have really embraced blocking people. Because before it was this competition. Again, just with myself. I'm not competing with anyone else. No one even knows there's a competition. But I'm like, I want as many followers and I want to break the 100,000. I want to break the 200,000. And now, and I wouldn't block anyone because like, then it'd be one less follower. And I'm like, block, block, delete, Block. block. Uh uh-uh, uh, don't need that. And it's it's been enlightening.
0: Sex After is hosted by me, Amy Marks, and it's produced by Chris rosa If you enjoy the show, I'd love to hear from you. DM me on Instagram at Amy Marks and Sex After Podcast, or send me a message on my website at amiemarks.com. And please follow, rate, and review the show and help us spread the word. Until next time.